so last time we spoke, right, you introduced these three words in sequence, and I've heard them before, David, right? But uh, when you said consumerize the employee experience, I've been doing this work for now seven plus years. I have never heard those three words together. The impact, I'll tell you after after our shoot together today, but it's been like pretty amazing on my on my ecosystem. So thank you, David. And my, my kind of first question to you is, you know, how is it that you've reached this level of progressive thinking, this level of clarity in your professional career? Maybe that's a long answer. Maybe it requires its own podcast. But if you were to summarize it, how did you get to this level of understanding of the market? You know, thinking about that, I haven't thought about it that way. And, and, and how have I gotten to that level? Um, it's interesting. Through discussion, through, through talking to people like yourself, it's it's been a, a journey of, of how do we not reinvent the wheel but but do what's important and I think feel like it's right in front of us and sometimes we just we are always looking to reinvent what we have and we just have to look up and look what we don't have and so I think that's really been been what it is it's in front of us as a consumer every day um, and and so it's more of a personal journey of, of how I want to be uh, talked to and interacted with at work and I'm not getting that for myself. Um, and, and I happen to be in the job of providing that for people. And so, so that's really how it came about for me, uh, through discussion and through, through that just realization. I mean, there it is. That's how you would like it would like to be communicated to, right? It's this deep empathy to saying, if I'm on the other side of it, how would I like to receive the communication? And now you're in this, you're in this great position as, as the leader of talent at Spirit Airlines, David. You and I briefly spoke about this, but how do you think about business goals in the context of people initiatives? Yeah, you know, um, and just before we go too far, I just want to thank you for the opportunity because this is, this is great and I admire the work that, that you're doing uh, in talking to people, and so, so thank you. But, but to your question you, of um, business goals being influenced by people initiatives, you know, there in my mind, there's no separation as we go down this road. Um, the two dovetail so closely together. Um, we always talked about HR having a seat at the table, um, and I think it's no longer about that. It's it's people are business initiatives. Uh, we run our business through people, and people, and, and we're starting to realize that as as a as a society, as a world, I I, I believe. Um, and, uh, you know, that might be spurred by our, our current talent pipeline challenges because now we have a shortage and we have to talk about how we bring people to the table uh, and how we bring talent to the table in a way that drives our business forward. Um, yet across all industries, commitment is down. And so we're really now at the center of the dialogue and in, in driving forward how we bring people initiatives forward to drive those business initiatives forward. And it's an exciting time for us. Um, we're here. Uh, sitting uh, at the core, discussing that, um, and and people have a choice. And so, so how do we now now bring that forward? Come up with new ideas, new ways um, to to drive our businesses forward. You know, as HR leaders, as HR professionals, uh, we're business professionals, but we are we are the people experts. We are looked to for our people expertise. Um, and so, I think our role is to innovate and to be. Um, organizational thought leaders uh, in, in how we drive forward into this new normal that will continue to change 
as we go. You know, it just makes me think about, and, and I've brought this up multiple times, are we at an end of one era? And before a new era begins, there is this in-between, right? We realize an era is over where, like you said, you know, L&D just at the executive table or change management as project management or we're creating catalogs and, and training moments only. All of those things we know are not working. I shouldn't say not work. They're not effective, right? Some, to some degree, they work in certain situations. They're not effective overall. But we're not ready for the new era. There's a moment where we say, boom, pause. Let's wonder. Let's think about what's next. And that's the space here that I really, you know, David, I appreciate you jumping in. And, and, and I want to talk about kind of you said the words people at the center, right? How do we integrate change thinking people at the center? I mean, I know it's self-evident, those words, but maybe you can expand because I think some just say it. You really mean it. And when you explained it to me, like I, I, I could sense that you're going deeper with, with, with what, what, what that's, where, it's, where it will take the organization. Right. You know, I, I think we take easier concepts for granted sometimes. And so I always, from an HR practitioner, why is recognition so hard? It's really pretty easy. And so I, I take that to, to the broader people concept. Why is it so hard to figure out people? Um, because they're a part of our everyday, yet people themselves are so complex. And so as business leaders, we're trying to solve incredibly complex business problems. And you layer on top of that complex people and individuals who look for different desires, look for different, different things out of their workday, out of their professional careers, um, yet they're the ones we're relying on. And so they're at the center. I don't believe um, we have a challenge in convincing business leaders and executives that people are important because they know they need the people. I think where the challenge of putting people at the center sits is in making sure we understand how to navigate through people to get success. And, and that's not one size fits all, that's complex. Um, and in essence, it's much of like we're, what we're trying to do with our guest journey. Uh, you know, working for Spirit Airlines, working in the airline industry, we have many unique guests out there that we're trying to meet the needs of all. Uh, we have a whole organization focused on that. Um, yet we have a department focused on the people. Uh, and, and so I think we are all, as HR leaders, now trying to make sure our, our business leaders and our managers are all as equally focused on, on their people. And that's where the challenge comes in, because they're also focused on, on the, the end user. I mean, you, you said it that, you know, it didn't take the customer side to get to where it is overnight. The, 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 that whole team that's responsible for the customer journey and all of the tools and the data and the processes involved didn't come overnight. It was a long, long journey. So the question is, how do we create this, again, in your words, massive shift in how we think about people? Um, so, so when you think about people initiatives, right, in the years to come, and you think about the the employee experience and you're looking to consumerize the employee experience, maybe we can start by asking which phases of the employee experience would you prioritize? They're all important, but is there an onboarding separate from you know leadership development? How would you think about the biggest phases of the employee experience? Right, well, you know, this, it could be a little different for each organization. I think it's important about knowing who you are and knowing what's important for your organization. It's 
the employee life cycle, the employee journey is an interesting one for us all to understand at a deeper level. Uh, and something that I've always loved to do is, is start to take a step back and let's map out our employee journey. Uh, just let's go through the phases of that journey and, and heat map it. Where are we good? Where are we great? And where are we, where are we lacking? We know we can't win in everything. If you try to win in everything, you're going to win in nothing. And so I think by looking at that journey, you can then identify for yourself, for your company, where's our superpower? Where are we going to win? And that's where you lean in first. I know when I talk for spirit, where we're gonna lean in and, and, and win in that superpower is onboarding. Um, and we're gonna do that through listening. Um, and so listening is key listening to your team members, listening to your, your prospective team members, um, and listening to those who have left about where they find value or lack value in the journey. Um, for us, that's key. And then bringing that into the onboarding experience to, to, to bring people into an organization and into spirit for us in a way that, that captures the hearts and minds. People have choice today, more choice than they've ever, ever had before. Uh, and commit, commitment to companies is down as well. So um, the goal really is to capture that heart and mind in an incredible way. And I believe one of the key points of that is onboarding uh, for us. It's interesting. And also the words you just said, uh, people have choices, right? Um, and, and it almost sounds like when I sit down in a, in a, in a, on a flight and uh, thank you for choosing us. That's a customer facing message, but also an internal facing message. Right, it it's, it it doesn't matter what the audience is, and an onboarding focus is incredible. We actually had Michael Watkins, the author of the first ninety days, on a couple months ago, and he wrote a book that's dedicated to onboarding and how important those first first months are, if not weeks. But what happens when your supposedly a honeymoon phase falls apart because you're siloed because you you know you didn't receive the kind of support that would keep up the momentum of what you experienced during the recruiting. Right. And David, if you could talk about, I don't know about the current state, but more if you could wonder about a future state of onboarding, what, what would you aspire Spirit Airlines to, to move into in terms of onboarding? Let's, let's stay with that as a topic for a bit. Right. But I think what's important first is to define what we mean by onboarding. And, and I've learned that every person defines it slightly different. And I've had the debate of is pre-boarding. Does onboarding start before the person arrives? Does it end at 90 days? Does it end at a year? When, when are you done onboarding? Um, and we all know from organizations, you're never done learning. So, so aren't we always onboarding? Um, even when we get promoted, are you onboarding? And so I think there's a philosophical question within that. Uh, for simplicity purposes, I define it from the second somebody uh, applies to the job uh, through when they start. And, um, and so that's what we've been focusing on is, is especially in that, that drop off that we're seeing more and more across companies of people accepting jobs and resigning before they start. And then many start, but resign in that first year. And so there's a, there's a sweet spot. I think we're starting to see of pre year one of capturing that heart and mind of people, uh, and creating that experience. And so. Uh, what does that look like ideally? I think it's different for work, different work groups. I think it's different for different personas of, of people that are out there. Um, but it means getting in, helping people create a connection to the company, understand their role, 
understand their business and understand the people. Uh, and that's where you see people, people fall down. If they don't feel a connection to the company, th there's not a stickiness. There's not that, that, that immediate desire. Um, but then so many times people come in and we're incredibly focused on, I'm going to teach you how to do your job, the tactical components of your job, but we don't teach them how to build relationships, how to influence, how to navigate the organization. And then are they at their, their greatest productivity? And does that start to create fr friction points? And so I think if we fo start focusing on the relationship elements and also creating that stickiness as they're joining of a connection to the company, it's where we, we win from a powerhouse perspective. Um, now that said, it's not one size fits all. Some people are incredibly passionate about the CSR type initiatives that we do. Some people are incredibly passionate about the data uh, and, and the, the, those components of the business. So you also have to figure out how you're delivering a variety of mechanisms to, to meet people where they are, which goes back to the very point of consumerizing the team member experience is, is we can't meet a one-to-one -one experience with every person that comes across our way. You know, and and as you're as you're speaking, I'm just thinking to myself: this, these are probably not 45 minute conversations. We could probably spend a couple of days. These are just such big topics. You're probably also thinking it too. You're like, we could go in this direction, that direction, but but as we, you know, to, if we apply this lens of consumerization, right? And we're saying there are two worlds: there's the world of marketing, and then there's the world of you know people initiatives, right? And we start to look at comparisons, points where we could just stop and say, oh. How does that work here? How does that work here? So what onboarding is the journey, moment and journey that we're focused on, and you've defined it as prior to year one anniversary. Okay, so that's the onboarding. The next, I think would be really cool, you said personas. Oh, wow. The whole world of marketing is about personas, right? It's about behaviors. It's the abandonment of shopping carts. Did they come back? Did they look at the social? You at Spirit Airlines have an entire small, probably a large team that's looking at those behaviors. So how, how far would you go into understanding the personas in the onboarding prior to year one anniversary? Ideal state. Ideal state, you have an infinite amount of time and an infinite amount of resource to get all of this done. I think that's the biggest challenge in this whole whole thing is when you're sitting inside of a company, you're still running the day to day, yet we're trying to reinvent at the same time. And, and the truth of the matter is, is, is no company is going to be resourced to reinvent and run at the same exact time, um, or at least no company that, that, that I've that I've worked for yet. Um, and, and so, so that is the question in itself is how much investment do you put in? Where do you prioritize? Uh, I think personas is going to be one of the most important things for us to understand. Do we understand the makeup of our workforce? We have five generations in the workforce. We have people with just based on that alone, different demands, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging is such a critical piece because we know when people feel like they belong, they give their all to work. And so you have ethnic differences, you have gender differences, you have uh, sexual orientation differences, and these all can shape themselves into slightly different personas. And so I think we have to take a note from our marketing friends and your customers have thousands of personas. We could try to do that as, as, as HR leaders, but it, it won't, where will it, where will it rear a positive result and when will it just become too much? And so start with four to five personas of who are the, the, the largest makeup of your, of your team member base. 
and then start to build strategies for those. And, and, and once you solve a good piece of that, maybe you expand a little. Uh, but I think we can, we can start small and, and grow from there. And for most, it's more than we're doing today. And, and I think so many times we get lost in the monstrosity of the mountain ahead of us that we don't start. And, and so my philosophy is, is start and start small and build from there. Uh, I think we, we sometimes have the, the fear of, the, of starting something out of not knowing exactly how it's going to, to proceed. Uh, but once you get into that path, the, the future starts to write itself based on what you discover. And it's important to have the philosophy to keep it practical. Otherwise, the question that I ask could take a, a leader down the rabbit hole of, oh my goodness, this is too much. We're not going to go there. We're not going to have 1,000 personas. But let's say we, we, we follow kind of your lead of four to five and, and we've identified them. What does the persona makeup or what does the persona classification guide us toward? Are we saying communication changes? Are we saying the leadership um, interactions, their frequency? What, what does that influence? Again, ideal state, David. Ideal state, but practical, right? We're not, we're not going to go into AI and machine learning. We're, we're keeping our conversation practical. I, I live in the practical, so, so you're only going to get practical answers from me. Um, so... It starts at attraction, and this is the work we've been focusing on first, is, is we actually have started developing personas for some of our recruitment efforts, and it's how we're marketing to get talent. There's a talent challenge out there, and so, so because we need to find people, we've done work to understand the personas, the type of people that will come to spirit, and then that helps us hone our marketing efforts towards them. Uh, so that, to me, is where you start. 100% though, that then flows into communication. Uh, do you do you hold group meetings together to onboard them? Is it through email? Do you offer a variety of, of modalities uh, to get at that? So it comes through communication. I think it goes down to benefits. And in an ideal state, it's even your compensation programs. We all may not want to receive compensation the same way. And so I may prefer a heavier base salary. Uh, you may prefer a heavier variable salary. Uh, because that's what your lifestyle prefers. And so, so should we give those options in an ideal state? I believe so. Now that takes a whole reworking of, of all of our mechanisms to get there. And so you can start with some easy pieces like marketing and communication and get to the bigger mechanisms, which would be an entire rewrite of how you deliver benefits, compensation, uh, your total rewards programs. Love that. And, and, and taking it to the manager implications. Does this, so, so now you said they're, you said we know there are five generations in, in the workplace and so th does that impact the way your manager would interact with you is there now a communication stream to say that persona prefers the following channels this is this generation and here's the preferred options or am i now moving beyond the practical and i, and I went further out yeah you know, I, I look at that as it's what we're always trying to do is we're trying to help leaders lead in the most effective way. And you want to give them practical tools to understand people. So I, in my heart of hearts, I believe most leaders just need tools to understand that people learn differently, people grow differently, and people navigate differently. And so how as a leader do you flex your style? I think we start there with leadership and we haven't solved that yet. Over time, can you mature to give them the tools of how do you speak to different different types of, of needs? I think that's in definitely where we go over time. But first we have to teach people to, to understand that people are, are, are different. You know, generations in the workforce is such a fascinating thing to me. I always find that um, the most senior generation always finds the most junior generation 
so frustrating and, and they need to change. And, and so it, it was the millennials and the millennials were horrible a few years ago. Um, but now there's a big presence. So the millennials aren't as horrible. Now the Gen Zers are, are just going to change everything. And, and, and we talk all the negative about them and, and whatever the next is, we're going to talk about that as well. And so we just need leaders and, and team members and people to, to respect people for what they bring and understand that, that different solutions get results. Um, and so I think through the consumerizing, through the personas, through the different mechanisms, we can develop tools to help leaders lead. But for that, it comes back to, to effective leadership, which is a core, core trait that I think we can build in people. And, and how do we, how have you seen it work or maybe how are you thinking about it? I, I really like the, the question of, you know, generations respecting the differences of other generations. That's probably, you know, in, in history, that's been every gen, ex, two extremes of the generations in the workplace looking at each other saying, how could you, how could you, I don't understand, I don't understand. So, so how, how do we disrupt that cycle? You know, I, I, um, I don't know. I haven't solved it. I'm hoping we evolve as time goes on. I always use uh, a smartphone example of, of, of with leadership development and say, we all have a smartphone, right? And I, I hold it up and I say, when was the last time this smartphone updated? When did it ask you to update last? And people always say, oh, last week, the week before. And you ask, why? Because it was horrible. It, it didn't work. It, it no longer did what you needed to do. No, the world around it changed. Yet how long, how often do we update our leadership OS? Um, we never do, but the world around us is changing, especially now back to what we were talking to earlier is we're in this potential reset of a, of a, new, uh, of a new norm. Um, and so I think the more we can teach people that, that our leadership needs to evolve, there's a baseline there that, that can help it. Um, I, I'm, I'm optimistic that as we continue to mature as people, as societies, as organizations, that we will, we'll get there. Leadership OS, upgrading ourselves to reflect the changes around us. That, you just gave me a paradigm shift there, David. Um, so, so going back to our topic today, which is the consumerization right, of the employee experience. Um, and you mentioned, you know, look at our, the size of the team that we have on the customer side and the size of the team we have on the HR and the talent side. Specifically, let's just focus on onboarding. And we're also now looking at our challenges with retention, productivity. These are things that have significant impact on our bottom line, dare I say top line, all lines in our organization. So if you were to guess and I'm going to stretch your practical. You said, I'll be practical. I'm going to stretch. Where does it, where, how far will I stretch your practical um, kind of thinking? Where do you see the size and the maybe even the skill set, the capabilities go from where it is now in terms of creating internal change to where you think it's going to go? You know, I've been racking my brain on that very question for, for weeks and, and now. And, um, I've gone down different paths of, of how much change can we do as a standalone HR function? Do we need to fully integrate? And, and, and do, you, do you even need to think of, of this and whiteboard this completely differently? Uh, or do we need to reinvent how we do our work or how we organize our work, um, bifurcate teams to focus on the now versus the future? Because we all know that now sucks out all of the time to, to, to look at the future. Um, and I, I haven't solved it. I haven't figured it out yet. 
Um, I think it's a, a mixture. Uh, you need to hone the, the expertise of, of human resources. Um, but I think we need to figure out what the functions within HR in an organization should be of the future. You know, if you think about the HR business partner function as a standalone, uh, it really evolved over the last 20 years or so, uh, so that we could have strategic business partners to business leaders. And, and that has enabled so much more and taken the transactional out of their roles. And, and we likely need to do that in, in other functions as well, is remove the transactional from the innovative to invest there and grow. Um, and like anything else, prioritize, take time and, and figure it, figure it out. You know, I, I love that you're just also being vulnerable to say, here's where I'm at. But, 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 but from my standpoint, the conversations I'm having every day, I think it's the most progressive leaders that are asking these questions today. As I mentioned, one era is over. Now I think the progressive and, and courageous folks are asking, what does the next era look like? And the reason I mentioned marketing specifically is because, you know, when we talk about consumerization, I think about, you know, where was marketing 30 years ago? 40 years ago you asked them what do you do and they would probably talk about newspapers and radio ads and tv ads and how do you measure your your success and you would say well this is how many people watched the the, the program today you say marketers you know what do you do we're data driven majority of what we do is analytics technologies mapping journeys and um, the the other curiosity i have is david david is on the technology side you know do you see hr working more closely with technologies, understanding the data, understanding the analytics. What, what's your take on, on that partnership of internal stakeholders? It's critical. It has to be core to what we do. So, so going back to the whole concept of consumerizing the team member experience, you know, we've talked about personas, but I actually think that's probably step, step three or four down the path. We talked a little bit about listening, and now we're talking about data. And, and so how does this start to piece together into a strategy to go forward? I think you start with listening. Um, listening is gathering data um, and making sure that you're hearing your people's needs. Uh, one of the, the, the phrases we're continuing to say is we're going to know our people like we know our business. We get business metrics on a minute-to-minute, day-to-day basis. Yet we do annual engagement surveys. So we do annual performance reviews. Everything from an HR data perspective, um, traditionally, was once a year. That's not how we run our business. And so when I say everyday listening, how are we getting mechanisms to get data from people on a daily, let's aspire for minute-to-minute, second-to-second basis? Once we have that, now how do you relentlessly analyze that data? And through the, the, that relentless analyzing, that's where you can start to develop personas. That's when you can start to align programs. That's when you can start to create those micro moments that matter through investments, through recognition, through policy, through programs that drive change. Um, and from there, how do we just communicate in every way possible? Again, that's not so different from what we're doing for our consumers. Uh, it's just thinking of it and, and rewriting it a bit differently from an internal perspective, because as HR professionals, we are not known to be analytical professionals. And that gets into the change of what the future of this needs to, to look like. I, I love where the conversation, where, where you just take the conversation. L- let's double click on listening just for a second, because listening, of course, there's qualitative, there's quantitative. We're obviously minute by minute basis talking about programmatic, you know, looking at data. 
um, and, and I'm not saying that's more important. I'm simply saying this is what, you know, this is one aspect of it. When we look at listening in that respect, what technologies do we look at? And, and in some, some days I scratch my head. And if you asked a marketer, you said, hey, customers use various technologies to interact with our brand. Which ones would you like to see? Uh, my response would be all in one place. I'd like to see that entire customer journey through data. And on the employee side, do we look at payroll, performance, task management, collaboration, if it's Microsoft Teams, Outlook, we do not want to move into Big Brother. We're not looking to collect more data. We're simply wanting to understand them. Am I am I going in the right place, David? You take over. No, 100%. And it's exa the exact conversation my team and I have been having recently and is how do you collect data in a thoughtful way without being Big Brother? Uh, how do you collect um, both sentiment of how people are, are thinking with activity, how they're behaving, uh, and combining that into the journey. And, and so that's the balance we need to, to discover. Uh, I think that was the conversation in marketing years ago. I, I remember during my time at QVC, we would always talk about how do we gather more data but not be big brother for our, our customers. It's the same thing. There's going to be a balance. You could always ask for more. Um, and we'll just have to get to that point where, we, where we, we gather some data. How I look at it is from a qualitative perspective and how we're starting to look at it is from a pulse, let's pulse survey on sentiment four times a year. Um, and those are those bigger moments. And, and let's get key elements so that we can measure that um, and, and, and uh, look at key indexes, key, key components of how, how team members are interacting and, and, and experiencing the organization. Then let's also look at the team member life cycle. And is there one to two questions that you ask continuously through this life cycle from pre-boarding to exit to understand how behavior happens across, through that journey? Um, and then to me, the third component is moments that matter. There are big announcements in organizations. There are seismic shifts in strategy in organizations. And how do you measure moments that matter in those, in, in those time periods? Uh, you know, we're unique in going through a, through a merger right now. And so we have a lot of moments that matter that are important for us to, to measure. Um, and then once you're gathering that data, it's down to your analysis to, to figure out where are the drivers of behavior? Where are there statistically important correlations and, and connections with the data to, to drive our action of, um, of improvement? Um, let's, let's, David, just wonder for, for, example, for, for a minute and do an example. Like, I'll just share with you kind of some of the things that are in my mind, and I'd love for you to expand on it and tell me if I'm in the right area code, right? How I'm thinking about it. So um, onboarding up to first year, as you, as you said, anniversary, we have data. And then you look at those who are leaving and you say, okay, what regions, what leaders, mm, how much activity? Microsoft Teams and calendars, because maybe they didn't feel a sense of connection and belonging. Did they maybe organizational network analysis? Who who are the influencers? Are they leaving? Are they not leaving? Then you look at task management. You look at all of this data and you begin to ask yourself, how do we anticipate? How do we predict the issues? And then how do we run interventions that are now based on deep insights, on deep understanding of those moments that matter? Am I am I in a, in, in the right galaxy? Uh, definitely. The, the one thing I would, I think we have to caution, and it's getting into that big brother element, is how much are you measuring of the activity? Uh, 
you know, I spend my career trying to convince leaders that we should manage to outcomes, not activity. And that COVID's taught us that a bit. You know, we had people in front of us every day and we saw their activity and that for leaders meant work. And all of a sudden COVID occurred and people were not in front of us anymore. And now I would hear leaders saying, people aren't working. And I would have those conversations with them and, and, and what we would really get to is that they didn't see them working, but they still had the outcomes. And so I think as we listen and gather data, we have to be careful to measure outcomes, not just activity. Because if we start measuring activity, I think that could get a little dangerous uh, for us. Um, and then, but where I fully, fully am going and, and, and what we're actually working to design right now is how do you understand the behaviors of those that stay and are committed versus those that exit? And so what we're standing up is an exit scorecard. You know, talking about listening, exit surveys are probably one of those things we all struggle with all the time. And I've been in so many rooms debating, do we do an exit survey? Do we, shouldn't we do an exit survey? The people who answer it are of course unhappy and the people who don't answer it aren't. And we can't get anybody to complete it. And, and so we've decided to stop exit surveys. Um, we're doing an exit scorecard. And so we are going to start having life cycle data on team members. And we're going to analyze that for the people that leave versus the people that, that stay to your very point to get predictive. Uh, so, so rather than ask you, cause we know why people leave, we know what they all say the same thing. I, I, I went for a promotion. I went for more money. They're not, they're, they're not going deep. And I think that's where the data story, uh, of the life cycle will, will start to pan out and hopefully provide better insights where we can get to the point of predictive. So we now know that if you trigger X, Y, and Z, uh, there's a likelihood that you're going to resign within six months. And so when can we start to identify those people that are triggering those moments, work with them and mitigate that? That's the ultimate that we're going to, to get. It's too late when you ask them why they leave. That's not the date. That's not a data point that I think is as powerful as we thought it was. For sure. And that takes us to full circle to consumerization. That's how we think about a customer. They go to the website on Spirit Airlines in order to book a flight. They get to a certain page and then they stop, right? They don't complete. Why? What do we do? How do we communicate? How do we fix it? How do we anticipate their needs before they uh, experience the challenges? Correct. Correct. David, I feel like you and I could go on and on and on, and, and, and I hope we will continue. But uh, for, for those that are listening, the, as you know, these are agents of change within their organizations. In some cases, they're lucky enough to have a lot of internal alignment to have the, the resources and ability to innovate. In some cases, they don't, and they're looking to gain that alignment. But if you, had, if you were giving advice to someone on this journey, probably in change management, L&D, talent development, HR in general, innovation, operations, um, but they're focused on people, leaders, and, and they're ready to be courageous and dare to dream. What advice would you give them, David, um, on their journey? Yeah. So, so I think the biggest and most important thing is be yourself and take risks, um, calculated risks. Don't take crazy risks. Uh, but, but you have to be honest with, with, with what you're trying to achieve and, and, and who you are, and then be bold with it and, and, and go on your journey of, of figuring out how you start to apply, surround yourself with incredible people. One of my leaders had this phrase early in my career, still sharpen steel. And, and, uh, it's, it's one of my favorites because 
I think as, as, as team members, as leaders, there's many people out there who are intimidated by strength. And what I've found in my career is when I surround myself with strength, I become stronger. So surround yourself with incredible people on your team, in your peer groups, in your social networks, because they're going to challenge you to be your best self. And then it's limitless. And that's where the, the success in your career comes. That's where the success in your results comes. And that's where ultimate, um, I think, achievement comes from. Love it. Love it. David, appreciate you jumping on. And I can't wait for our, our next time. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Over and out.